Today on The Journey. We have conflict. What's the solution? God can give you His divine assistance and can help you say, you know what? It's really not that important for me to win this battle. He can help you walk away as a victor. Conflict. Few of us like it, but all of us experience it. So how do we deal with it in strength and God's grace? Well, on today's broadcast, Ron Moore shares biblical guidance that will ensure both you and God are winners the next time conflict arises. Plus, after the message, I'll let you know about Ron's devotional booklet titled Garments of Grace. In it, you'll discover eight items of spiritual clothing God wants every believer to wear. Garments of Grace is available as a digital download for a donation of any amount at ronmoore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with a message titled, The Grace of Handling Conflict on the Journey. I want to talk about this very practical subject of handling conflict by grace. How should one who knows the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ deal with this subject of conflict in their life? Today, we want to look at some ingredients of conflict, and then we want to determine how believers should handle, very practically, these issues of their life. Let's start with the definition of conflict. Conflict is very simply a difference in opinion or purposes that frustrates someone's goals or desires. That according to Ken Sandy from his book, The Peacemaker. Difference in opinion a difference in purpose, and that frustrates where we want to go, and that frustrates what we want to do, and that causes conflict between us. A conflict is not all bad. Sometimes it's neutral. Sometimes it's beneficial. We all have different opinions. We all have different tastes. We have different perspective on things. God demands unity, but never uniformity. We're going to look at a lot of passages of Scripture today, but let's start with Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Skip down to verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. He did it to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There is unity, Paul says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one spirit, 
but they're different gifts. And if you go into Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you'd see some additional spiritual gifts. And sometimes because of these spiritual gifts and the passion that God gives us to fulfill these gifts causes conflict. And that's not bad. It can be beneficial as we see the body of Christ working together. Romans 15, 7 says, because of this, accept one another, just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You see, God did not make cookie-cutter Christians. He created variety. He calls us to unity, but never to uniformity. Now, sometimes conflict moves beyond neutral and beyond beneficial and moves into the area of sin and the area of destruction and the area of dishonoring God. Let's look at a passage of Scripture and spend some time in that passage, James chapter 4. And we're going to find here, as we go through this passage of Scripture, that conflict is not what you think. It is not someone else's fault. It is not the issue of someone else being wrong. It's going to be right here in our hearts. Look at James chapter 4. James asked a rhetorical question to begin with. What causes fights and quarrels among you? He uses some strong words here. The word fight literally means state of war. Why are you at war with each other? And quarrels means individual disputes and battles. What causes these among you? Then he answers the question. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Look at verse 2. You want something, but you don't get it. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask of God. You want something, but you don't get it. So you start a war with someone else. And James says you don't have because you don't ask of God or you don't ask God to bring in a, a replacement for that desire that you have. You don't ask God to take over. You don't ask God to fill that sinful desire, take it away and replace it with the satisfaction that comes from the Spirit and comes from obedience. Listen to what James is saying. He is saying most conflicts, most quarrels, most fights are a direct result of sin, your sin and my sin. Not someone else's problem. Look at verse 5. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely? God created man and He breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. He put our spirit within us. But then Genesis chapter 3, the fall came and sin entered the human heart. And now that spirit that God put within us envies intensely. It wants things. Sometimes it can't have them, so it gets frustrated. Spiritual battle going on. And what's the result? No, we're not going to talk to that person anymore. We're going to spend eternity together, but we won't say hello to them in the hallways or on the streets. And Satan rejoices. You say, Ron, yeah, you're taking this a little far. I mean, you know, conflict really is a personality issue. It's not sin. It's a personality issue. You know, we have different personalities, and it's trivial stuff. 
Well, yeah, sometimes it is very trivial stuff, but it's the trivial stuff then that makes its way deep into our heart. It's our sinful nature. And to demonstrate how deep it is, look at verse 3. When you ask God, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now see, God knows you intimately. He knows everything you're thinking. And yet still we go to God and we ask Him with wrong motives. What's the solution? Look at verse 6. James says this, but He gives more grace. In the middle of this battle, in the middle of this intense envy waging within your heart, when you want to get the last word back, when you want to make sure things go your way, James says, wait a second. God gives more grace. That's why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God can give you His divine assistance and can help you obey. He can help you say, you know what? It's really not that important for me to win this battle. And he can help you walk away as a victor. Look at verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Let Him have His way. In your pride, you're going to want to continue the battle. You want the last word. You want to feel justified. You want to win, and so do I. But James says, submit yourself to God. Come near to Him. And you know what? Sometimes there need to be confession. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. Sometimes there needs to be confession because you were wrong all along. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. I know James wasn't thinking of this when he wrote, He will lift you up. But think for a minute of the athlete who gets the winning hit or scores the winning goal or basket and his teammates come or her teammates come and they lift him or her up, put them on their shoulders and carry them off the field. I love that picture when I think of this. God lifts us up and takes us off the field. He says, you won. You asked for my help. I gave you more grace. You didn't retaliate like you have before. The other person may feel they got the last word in, and they did. That's okay. But you won. And heaven rejoices. God carries you off the field as He lifts you up. He always gives more grace. Okay, in our time remaining, let me put forth six biblical steps of how to handle conflict by grace. Step number one, forget it. Sometimes you just forget it. Sometimes it's not worth it. Now, if you're the one who has sinned, if you're the one who started it, you don't forget it. You need to go and confess. But if someone has said something to you or done something to you, you got to say, you know what? Maybe they were just having a bad day. Maybe it's not worth it. I'm going to just forget it. Now, there are some issues you cannot forget. You have to go deal with. But those are issues of sin. But here are issues in your life that someone said something, someone did something, rubbed you the wrong way, and you're going to make a federal case out of it. Just forget it. At least that's what Scripture says to do. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook 
and offense. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then move on to the glory of God. If you can't forget it, here's a second step. Personal interaction. You may have done something to someone else where you need to go confess to them, or they may have done something to the point where you need to lovingly and gently confront them on the issue. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember your brother has something against you, you leave your gift there in front of the altar, and you first go and you're reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. You stop worship, you go get that taken care of, and then you come back to worship. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Don't call 15 friends and tell them what he or she did. They don't need to know. Just between the two of you, go and talk. And if he listens to you, if she listens to you, you've won them over. Okay, you've tried that. That doesn't work. Here's a third one. Personal negotiation. There may be situations that involve money, and you have to come to some agreement. Who's going to pay for this? Maybe an agreement that's been made. Someone's not following through. So you go to that person again one-on-one, -on -one, and the two parties sit down and prayerfully negotiate the best route to take and come up with a prayerful plan that both people agree with so you can move forward to honor God. Philippians 2, 4 should be the verse that you live by here. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So you're not only prayerfully looking at what you have at stake, but what the other person has at stake, trying to resolve this thing. So forget it, one-on-one, -on -one, just talking it out, or three, negotiation. That's the personal interaction. Now, you're still in a situation, you say, not resolved. Scripture gives us a fourth step, mediation. And that's when we ask another person to come in and meet with us. You see, we're so into this thing, we can't see the forest for the trees. And it's gotten a little deeper than we thought. And we're not even communicating clearly. And so we're going to bring someone else in, and they're going to hear our side, and they're going to hear their side. And we've got two people here, and they're going to help us come to an agreement. Mediation. Matthew chapter 18, verse 16. This is after you've gone to him one-on-one. -on -one. If he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by a testimony of two or three witnesses. Mediation. Here's a fifth step. Mediation doesn't work. Now we go in the Christian community to arbitration. When you and another Christian cannot settle a matter by bringing someone in to mediate, then Scripture says to appoint an arbitrator. Bring others in, normally church leaders, and you're going to commit to agree to their decision. Whatever their decision is, whether you like it or not, prior to it happening, you're going to commit to it. And this should not only be the practice when we are entrenched in disagreements, but Paul says this should be the way we handle legal conflict with other Christians. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In a litigious society, this is a strong and appropriate and a good word for us to hear. Paul writing to the church, he's writing to Christians, if any of you have a dispute with another, 
Dare you take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? You got a problem with another Christian? You're going to take it to a court of unbelievers? Dare you do that, Paul says? Verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if we are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels how much more the things of this life? Therefore, Paul says in verse 4, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. They don't need to be magistrates. They don't need to be official judges, godly individuals, godly men and women in the church. I say this to your shame, he says in verse 5, is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to the law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. And Paul goes on to say, you know who suffers? The Lord. The name of the Lord. Two Christians before an ungodly, unbelieving judge settling their dispute, wondering to himself or herself, what's going on with them? They claim to be Christians, and they can't even handle this dispute among them. Associate Supreme Court Justice Scalia says this about that verse. He says, I think this passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 8, has something to say about the proper Christian attitude towards civil legislation. Paul is making two points. First, he says that the mediation of a mutual friend should be sought before parties run off to the law courts. I think we are too ready today to seek vindication or vengeance through adversary proceedings rather than through peaceful mediation. Then he says this, good Christians, just as they are to be slow to anger, should be slow to sue. We need to take care of those things within the church. Because if we're going to be the ones who judge the world, can't we handle the trivial things here? If you've gone through those five steps and still no solution, the sixth step is church discipline. If a person who professes to be a Christian refuses to be reconciled, refuses to do what is right when the church leaders have come in and made this decision, then church leaders have to formally intervene in order to promote repentance, in order to promote justice in order to promote forgiveness. Again, that's from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. If a brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you, one-on-one. -on -one. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over, but if he doesn't listen to you, now you take two or more with you so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, you tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, you treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You treat him as a non-believer. Now, the church has no power to determine if someone is a believer or not. Only God knows the heart. But if someone's going to act like an unbeliever, Paul says, treat him like an unbeliever. You say, man, that's getting kind of hard. I mean, you know, only by grace. This makes me uncomfortable. And that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be a deterrent to sin. And when we love someone, we discipline them. 
It's what Hebrews tells us. God loves us so much, he disciplines us as his daughters and as his sons. And so there is discipline in the church for three reasons. Here's the first one. It protects the Lord from being dishonored by those on the outside who say they are living in sin, overt, open sin. So it really doesn't matter, does it? I can live in sin, and I'm not a member of the church. And so if I go there, they're not going to take care of me. They're not going to confront me. It dishonors the Lord. It dishonors the church. Secondly, discipline is purposed to protect other believers from being led astray by a bad example. You see, if everyone can do it, and I want to do it, and everyone's getting by with it, then I'm tempted to do it even more strongly. Sometimes you got to say, this is not going to happen here. It's got to stop. Number three, and here's our prayer, that it would help the individual realize the seriousness of his or her sin and turn from it. So it's not to injure someone, it's to help them to see that this is a serious business. You cannot live in sin as a believer. If you do, you can be confronted. And if you continue to live in sin, you're no longer a part of our church. Now we do that so that you will see the seriousness of sin and come back and be restored. And we can demonstrate our love to you and our help for you. But if you're going to live like an unbeliever, then we've got to treat you like an unbeliever. And that goes for everyone in the church. You see, the church cannot continue to pretend that things are right with people who refuse to listen to God's Word and listen to God's people. And sometimes that includes in the church exclusion from the church. You see, living the life is more than just lip service. It's more than just talking a good game. It's more than just coming and singing hymns on Sunday morning. It's living our life every day, every minute to the glory of God. And because we're a body of Christ, because we're in this together, then we have responsibility for each other. And we have to help each other along. And we have to say, there's something more important than this conflict I have with another brother or sister in Christ. And that something that's more important is the honor and the glory of the living God. I'm going, by God's grace, to forgive. And I'm going to move on to the glory of God. And please stay with us. Ron returns in a few moments with a look at our next time together. When wanting to look your best in public, do you care about the appearance of your clothing? And the same question could be asked of your spiritual apparel, especially of those garments God has provided by His grace. They comprise an eight-piece ensemble made of heaven's finest virtues. You'll find that collection in Ron's PDF booklet titled Garments of Grace. In Garments of Grace, Ron describes each piece and how it's to be worn for God's glory. But here's a warning. When you don this wardrobe, you will be conspicuous. In a world dressed in filthy clothing, torn and tattered by sin, your attire will shine like the stars. Garments of Grace is yours as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmore.org. Again, that web address is ronmore.org. Your gift today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let's join Ron for a preview of our next broadcast. What happens in the body of Christ when a man or a woman 
demonstrates patterns of sinful behavior in his or her life, and God allows you to see it. What are we to do when another Christian gets too close to the edge? Do we ignore it? None of my business. Do we gossip about it? <laughs> Can you believe so-and-so over there, what they've been doing, what they've been up to? Do we simply watch and see how long it takes for them to fall off the side? Or do we take some initiative? Bold steps, radical steps, risky steps of getting involved in their life. We hope you can join us for that message next time. And please remember to get your copy of Ron Moore's digital devotional, Garments of Grace. In its pages, you'll discover spiritual apparel for the well-dressed Christian. Garments of Grace is yours for a donation of any amount. You can get it online at ronmoore.org. That's ronmoore.org. Also, for our Pittsburgh area listeners, the Real Conversation continues at the Bible Chapel with Real Talk, Conversations from Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, we'll discover what God has to say about leadership, sex, life, victory, and connection. This is a series you won't want to miss. The Bible Chapel has campuses across the greater Pittsburgh area. Visit BibleChapel.org for a location near you. Again, that address is BibleChapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron next time as we walk together on The Journey.